Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. How many of you guys are reminds you of your Christmas right there, huh? Santa coming in on a rope. Wow. Impressive. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. Okay. Didn't know if it was quite so merry there, but so glad to be here with you guys today. I'm excited for uh, Christmas coming up, and uh, it is really, like for me, I'm like a little kid at Christmas time. Uh, you can ask my wife. Um, I resort back to like eight or nine, uh, ten possibly, uh, but man, I just love, like I can't sleep on Christmas Eve. I'm, you know, I'm like actually waking up my kids at 6 a.m. Like, kids, get up. It's Christmas. And how many else, anybody else out there like that, or is it just me? Come on, be honest. Thank you. I like you, um, Josh. Uh, but man, I'm really excited for it. We've been talking about how we can thrive through uh, the holiday season and really um, just using that basically to talk about how we can thrive through life. Because uh, for me, the holiday season is kind of like a little snippet of really the way we live our whole, entire, our whole entire life. And sometimes we find ourselves this time of the year just trying to get, you know, from Thanksgiving into the new year, get back to life as we know it, get back to the grind, get back to work, get back to normalcy. Uh, but I believe that God doesn't want us to live that way. I believe God wants us to thrive during this season because he wants you to thrive through life. And so we've been talking about it. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Brandon talked about thriving through giving. If you missed that message, I would encourage you to grab um, like off a podcast or if you haven't downloaded our app yet, download our app and check out that message. Um, he's actually preaching that message today down at our central location. And so that was a fantastic message, how you can thrive in life learning to give. And today what I want to do is I want to talk to you uh, and really conclude our series on thriving through the holidays about talking about this one thought called hope. So turn to your neighbor and say hope. Hope. We're going to talk about hope, how you can thrive through the holidays. Just turn this down just a little bit if you could. Uh, how we can thrive through the holidays with, with hope because it really is the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, one of the things that I love growing up is it seems to me that Christmas is, is kind of like, I, I, excuse me for using this word in church, it's kind of like a magical season, right? Like when you're a kid, it's like anything is possible, anything could happen. It's, it's really, I mean, if you look back at the Bible, it really is a time of the miraculous. It's a time of the supernatural, anything is possible with God. And, and uh, we incorporated, man, the story of Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ, all throughout my childhood. It was one of my favorite things. On Christmas morning, uh, we would get up, and before we could open up any presents, we were allowed to open our stockings, and that was it. But before we could open up any presents, we would sit around my dad's chair. My dad would get out his Bible, and he would read the Christmas story. And, uh, and we just would sit there and listen, and then we would go around and give thanks to Jesus before we opened up any of the presents. And I don't know how it is at your house, uh, but at my house, um, there was one person designated to be Santa Claus. You guys do it that way? Anybody? No? Just us? Okay. Yeah. All right, you Santa, usually. Come on, somebody. And uh, there was one person designated to be Santa Claus. They would get to wear the Santa hat. And uh, because it was all about giving at our house and not just receiving, uh, that person with the Santa hat would go and grab one present. from. Now, this is absolute torture when you're six years old, okay? I mean, we had to wait until we read the story. Now we finally get to the, the tree, and the person we designate who was Santa put on the hat, and they would grab one present, and they would say, to Ted from Mom, and then they would walk it over. Go back to the tree, to Mom from Ben, walk it over. And, uh, and there's, I, have, I have three brothers. There's four of us, all right? 
and this would take forever. And it's fun now, but when you're six years old, do you guys feel my pain? Okay, I had to go get counseling and stuff. I've recovered since. Uh, but, uh, it, it took the, but it was all about watching people. And then you couldn't open your present. Then after you had all the presents distributed, then we would take turns. Open one gift, watch them. Oh, which, by the way, is the most intimidating thing in the world, right? Because if you don't like what you got, come on, somebody. You have to master the art of deception. Are you with me? All right? We just got done talking about Jesus, and now we're going to deceive everybody. That, yes, I love this ugly sweater. Come on, somebody. Right? But everybody watches. All eyes are on you, and you open it up, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. This is just what I wanted, you know? And it's a re-gift from last year. Come on, somebody. But I love Christmas time yeah, because it really is, to me, a season about, man, hope. It's a season of miracles. It's a season where, where anything seems to be possible. And the reason I, we've been just focusing in on this is because that's the way God wants us to live life. He wants you to live life with Christ that anything is possible. Because with God, all things are possible. And so we're going to talk about this today. So turn in your Bibles, if you would. I'm going to read to you two different passages of Scripture. The first one is a portion of the, script, uh, the, the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 through 23. And then we're going to go over into Hebrews, which happens many years later after the birth of Jesus, his life on earth, and then his, his death, burial, and resurrection. And we're going to look at this thought of hope today. Matthew chapter 1. Starting in verse 18, and it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, now listen to this, because this is the part where hope is coming. Now you've got to understand something, okay? The Jewish people have been waiting and listening to prophecies for years and years and years, and they're waiting for this moment when their king, when their savior would come. And so now here it is, here's the announcement, and it says this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save the people from their sins. Now this is an exciting moment in, 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 for these Jews. They've been waiting for this. They've been hoping for this. They've been believing for this. They've been longing for this moment. And here comes the announcement. Jesus is coming, and he's going to save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. These are the things they've heard of through prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is what they've been hoping for. This is what they've been believing for. And now the announcement comes and they are excited about it. Now go with me over to the book of Hebrews. If you just kind of take your pages and flip them over from right to left a little ways, you're going to come to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. Now once again, this is many years after. Jesus Christ is no longer on the earth. The apostle Paul is writing the book of Hebrews to the Hebrew people, and uh, the main reason he writes this book to the Hebrew people is he wants to talk about how God is supreme in absolutely everything, that Christ is supreme in absolutely everything, 
And so he's writing to them because now they're conflicted. And why they're conflicted is this, is because they have now accepted Jesus. They're now walking no longer as in Judaism, but they're walking in Christianity. They're Christ followers. And they're now walking in faith, and they're, they're putting their trust in Jesus Christ, their hope in Jesus Christ. But what's taking place now is they're experiencing conflict. They're experiencing persecution uh, to the point now where people won't even do trade with them. And so if they made their livelihood selling things or, or trading for things or bartering for things, people aren't coming to them any longer because of where they stand with Christ. And so now not only is it impacting you know, their social realm, it's, uh, it's impacting their financial realm as well. And so now conflict is taking place. They're concerned. They're worried about the decision they made to follow Jesus Christ. So Paul writes them, and he says this in chapter 6, starting in verse 9. It says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. Why is he saying that? Because they are no longer in Judaism. They're in Christianity. They've been saved by Christ, and they're now facing conflict, and they're beginning to question their decision. And Paul is saying, hold on a second, guys. There's better things concerning the idea, the thought. There's better things concerning the salvation that has taken place in your life. Verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. What is Paul saying there? He's saying to them, guys, look, God's not going to overlook all the work you've done. He sees the work. You've been working hard. You've been loving people. You've been serving people. You've been, and you've been holding on to the faith, and, and, and you've been giving, and you've been doing all these things. But Paul then begins to turn and says, that same amount of energy and earnestness and passion that you've put into doing that, I want you to take that same amount of passion and energy, and I want you to put it into this. I want you to put it into hope. I want you to put it into the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, two, well, I guess maybe one word that we dislike, that word patience. Am I the only one? Okay. Once again, Christmas, what, what makes it so magical when you're little is that you've got to exhibit patience, Right? Especially when mom and dad throw a present under the tree about 15 days before Christmas. Before Santa shows up, come on somebody, on Christmas Eve and drops a grip of presents under the tree. Are you with me? Right? But those ones that mom and dad shove under the tree and, and every morning you find yourself just laying under the tree looking at it. And if you're, you know, devious children, like I wasn't, all my brothers were, um, you're, you're actually opening it up and peeking at it and rewrapping it. Come on somebody. How many of you guys did that? Be honest. Thank you. Okay, we got some honest people. All right. My brother did it. I actually never did, but my brother was the master of it. He got a little razor and cut the tape just right and opened it up and unfolded it and then put the piece of tape right back in the exact spot. Yeah. See, I was the good child. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Through faith and patience. 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 So then Paul goes on and says, here, let me give you an example that you can all relate to, okay? He's talking to the Hebrew people, 
And he's saying, okay, you're not quite catching what I'm saying here. Let me give you an example. And so he pulls in one of the greatest examples out of the Old Testament in verse 13. And it says this, for when God made a promise to Abraham, so he made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham, here it is, and Abraham had to hold on to something, hope and patience. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear by, he swore by himself. This is God. Okay, God's making a promise to Abraham. He's talking with Abraham, and he's like, man, how can I just get you to understand this, Abraham? And he looks around. Who am I going to swear by? He realizes he's the greatest one there, and he says, I'm going to swear by myself. This is going to come to pass. And he says, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is a final confirmation. In other words, what God did, it's final. It's going to happen. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Remember, he's encouraging them. What's he saying? Hey, man, just have hope. Man, just have hope. You ever encountered somebody that's going through something difficult, just like, man, just hold on to hope. They're facing a sickness or a disease, man, just, just hold on to hope. They're facing, hold on to hope. This is what Paul is doing. He's saying, hold on to hope. Verse 19. We have this, a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. Now I want you to catch this. This is kind of where we're going to land today. Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in to the inner place behind the curtain. Look at the analogy Paul uses. He talked about Abraham. Here's your example. Now I'm going to give you an analogy, Hebrew. So I'm going to give you an analogy, church. Our hope is like a sure and steadfast Anchor. What is an anchor attached to? It attaches to, it attaches to a boat. Whereas a boat, a boat sits in the water. When the anchor is dropped, it holds the boat in place no matter what winds, no matter what circumstances come. If we're to look at this, we could, we could say that, that the boat is, is really us, right? The boat is our soul. The boat is us. The water, man, that's life. The anchor here in this analogy that Paul uses is Jesus. Because he says it right here. We have a sure and steadfast anchor for us, our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Let's read on and find out. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What in the world is the Bible talking about? What is this curtain? What, what's happening here? What's taking place? It says we have this sure and steadfast anchor in Christ because Christ, in the Old Testament, all the people, once a year, they would come and they would bring their, their sacrifices. The high priest of that time, he would take a pure spot, he'd take the blood of a pure spotless, that's gross, right? He'd take the blood of a pure spotless animal and he would go in behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies, and there the Ark of the Covenant would be, which was the, the typology of the presence of God as we know it today. And there was the Ark of the Covenant, and what he would do, the high priest would walk in, and he would take the blood of this animal, and he would sprinkle it on the altar. 
And that was to cover the sins of the people until the next year. Now, we don't see this in Scripture anywhere, but a lot of theologians believe that the high priest would actually have a rope tied around his ankle. Why? Because the priest had to be undefiled when he went into the place. And so here you come, and he would walk in, and, and he would pull back the curtain. He would go into the most holy of holies, and he would sprinkle that blood covering the sins of the people of that time. If the priest walked out, okay, they would know that God accepted the sacrifice and that their sins were appeased for another year, okay? If he didn't walk out, well, then that's why the rope was there and they would pull him out. But every time that he would walk out from behind that curtain, when they saw the high priest, man, they would rejoice. They would celebrate because, yes, our sins are forgiven for another year. Pretty cool, right? But what the Bible is saying now, Paul is saying this. Look, that was Old Testament. Jesus Christ came, and he is the high priest above all high priests, and his blood that he shed on the cross has now covered all sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. You can have hope knowing that your sin is covered by him. Are you with me this morning? No longer is somebody going to go in. No, matter of fact, the Bible says that when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he breathed his last and he gave up his life, that the veil, the curtain, was torn in two, meaning there will never need to be another high priest to go back there and cover the sins of the people. It is final. It is complete. It is over. So because of that, Paul is saying, guys, you can have Hope, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope. What is it? It's Jesus. The work he did is final, it's complete, it's forever. Amen, this is good preaching. This is why, man, when Jesus Christ came into the world as a baby, why there was so much rejoicing, angels singing, shepherds singing, everybody's just singing. Life was a musical. La! Right? Because they realized the hope of the world had come. Here's something that happens as we go through life, much like these Hebrews. We begin to lose sight of hope. Or we begin to lose sight of what hope really is. So much so that just like these Hebrews, they begin to work. And they begin to do. And they begin to perform and Paul says, guys, that same amount of energy you're giving to that, stop and put that same energy in hope. The hope that Jesus Christ is the anchor of your soul. Let me pray, and then I'll preach this. God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that, Lord, you would just take this thought of hope. And, Lord, you would, you would put it inside of us, not just so we could thrive, Lord, through a holiday season, not just so we could thrive through Christmas, but that we could thrive in this journey called life. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for each and every person in here, including myself, let us walk out of this room today having the right biblical concept of what hope is in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. It was 1986. And uh, most of my friends were getting Nintendos. Now, now, most of you probably don't remember what that is, right? Nintendos. This is back when gaming was simple, right? You had two red buttons, and you had a little thing you moved over here, okay? I can't play games today because they got buttons here, here, here. They got buttons all over the place. You might as well just, if I'm going to play football on this, I might as well go out there and play football for real. Are you with me? Because, I mean, talk about a thumb workout, you know. Uh, this is Nintendo, 
two red buttons and a little black thing over here, and it was awesome. Most of my friends, man, they were, they were asking for Nintendos, and I thought maybe I would ask for one too, until I walked in the store with my parents. I was trailing behind them, and we walked, I don't remember the name of the store, but we walked in the store, and there they were on the mannequin in the window, parachute pants. Come on, somebody. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. These ones, these ones were like, like true parachute pants. They had 17 zippers on them. Come on, somebody. They had pockets everywhere. They were charcoal gray. They were a little bit shiny, and I fell in love with them at that moment. All I wanted for Christmas was those. This is the way I thought about it. If all my friends are getting Nintendos, I can go to their house and play Nintendo. Come on, somebody. In my parachute pants, thank you very much. Yeah. I was stoked. And I was like, Mom, 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 hey, stop, Mom. She's like, what? I was like, that's what I want for Christmas. She's like, okay, honey. She's like, no, Mom, you don't understand. I don't care if I get anything else. I want those. Not just that stuff. I want those ones, that color, the 17 zippers, those. That's what I want. Okay, honey. Well, if you're good enough, then maybe you'll get them for Christmas. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, Christmas is honestly another reason as a parent it's the most wonderful time of the year because you can get your kids to do anything. Right? Hey, Santa, coming. Better watch out. Better not cry. You know, wait until you have, you don't have kids yet? Wait until you have kids. It's awesome. Right? But the most brilliant thing in the world was three years ago, Elf on a Shelf showed up to our house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we named ours Alpha. And Alpha shows up in a different spot all over the house from, like, Thanksgiving to Christmas and watches to see if the kids are being naughty or nice. Santa, thank you. We didn't have Alpha back then. I just had my parents saying, hey, 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 Christmas is coming. You better be good. Better be good. And then my dad, my dad was a lot like me. He loved to whistle and he loved to sing. It was like a musical in our house. And so if me and my brother started fighting, you just hear my dad saying, you better watch out. You better. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and see, Christmas was going to be awesome if I was good. Christmas was going to be great if I performed right. I would have those parachute pants on Christmas morning. And here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is that that is our idea of hope in our culture. Our idea of hope in our culture is tied to our ability to perform. I mean, I love Christmas, and yes, I manipulate and get my kids to clean the room. But my, my, whole, my whole idea of what it meant to hope was that if I can just act good enough, respond right, do the right things, then, then maybe I'll get the parachute pants. It wasn't much different than what these Hebrews were like that Paul was talking to. They believed that if they just did the right things, performed the right way, said the right words, did it in a timely way, then, then maybe if they were good enough, you better watch out, right? And see, here's the, here's the problem. Here's the problem not only in culture, but here's the problem in church, is our idea of hope is skewed. Really, hope 
nowadays is nothing more than a wish. Oh, cancer, man, just hold on to hope. Oh, man, your parents are going through the divorce, man, just, just hold on to hope. And really, it becomes nothing more than a birthday wish. Y'all remember birthday wishes? Still make them? Just a wish. And the hope is grounded in nothing at all other than our ability to perform. Let me prove it to you. We lose hope. Right? You ever seen, you ever seen that? Somebody losing hope? Oh, man, they're just losing hope. Now, what can we do to restore hope in them? They're losing hope. Well, in just a minute, we're going to see that it's impossible to lose hope. But yet all the time, we tell people, oh, man, you're losing hope. Just hold on to hope. Just hold on to it. You go and you apply for a job. You go through 17 interviews. You're competing with hundreds of other people. It looks like you're the one, and you're excited, and then you don't get the job. And you feel like a failure. Why? Because your hope was in the job. See, the, the other thing is that if hope isn't tied to our ability to perform, it's really tied to nothing at all. I hope you get better. What's the hope in? The hope is in getting better. Ah, man, I hope, I hope, I hope, man, I hope you get some money. What's our hope in? Our hope is in getting the money. And if we don't get the money, then it's like, <sighs> Is anybody with me? The reason that Christmas is so awesome is because the true definition of hope is seen. But yet we skew it with ideas of Santa Claus. If you're really good, kids, Santa will bring you a gift. If not, a lump of coal. It's horrible. And yet we live our life that way. Here's the sad thing. Not only do we live our life that way, we begin to live our Christianity that way. If I show up to church today, then I made it to church. I forgot my Bible. I read my Bible, but only two times this week. All of a sudden now, this relationship with Christ, this thing called Christianity, becomes performance-based. And if we don't do it, Come on, I, I've been to that place before. I didn't read my Bible for four days. <gasps> Pastor, but you're supposed to be teaching us the Bible. Don't worry, I have the whole thing memorized. Um, see, I restored hope. And did you see that? You were like, oh, okay, it's all good then. All right. And I remember feeling, feeling bad. And they're like, man, how can I? I'm a horrible human. Paul's saying, guys, you're missing it. This is good. You're missing it. Don't, don't put your hope and your faith and your trust in your ability to do something. That's not hope. That's performance. Take that same amount of energy you are doing, you're working, you're, you're pushing, you're loving, and, and put it into hope. What is hope? Hope is a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. Okay, who is it? It's Jesus. It's what he's done. It's what he continues to do. And it's what he forever will do. Wow. Thank you. You mean, you mean, you mean if I, I blow it? Do you know what I love? You know what I love? 
about Christianity, you know what I love about serving Jesus? It is the only idea, it is the only religion, it is the only theology, it is the only place where you can mess up and get grace. But see, here's the thing. Because we don't understand hope, we mess up. We're like, oh. I'm not just talking. I'm, I'm not talking because I've met enough people. And talk. I'm talking out of my own personal driveway here. I remember blowing it in college. And I thought, my gosh, here's what I need to do. I just need to go read. And I remember I found myself reading the Bible for hours, trying to compensate for how bad I felt. Am I the only one? Come on, some of you did it this week. Some of you did it before you walked into church this morning, right? You're like, man, I haven't read my Bible all week. If I walk into church, I'm going to die. So I'm waking up at 5. I'm reading some Bible this morning. Let's listen to worship on the way, right? <laughs> some of you are like, how does he know that? Elf on a shelf told me. Come on, somebody. Yeah. That's the problem with hope in our culture. But here's the, here's the thing. It says this, and let me just give it. 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. I think we so greatly misunderstand this scripture, and hopefully you won't after today. It says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies inside of you. Hope. Be ready. Uh, it, yeah, well, because I go to church, and, and I, I read the Bible, and, and so I just believe Jesus is really good. Okay. Where's the hope? The hope that is inside of you is found right here in Hebrews chapter 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Our hope is Jesus. Hey, why are you so hopeful? Jesus. Why? Because he did everything. What do you mean? Everything. But can you describe that? Everything. He's done it all for me and you. You just got to say, yeah, yeah, sweet. But see, because people don't understand hope, we just kind of breeze through it like, oh, okay, so I got to do more, be received more. No. And yet, well, you were still a sinner. Christ died for you. You were ugly. You were horrible. You were like, Bleh. Merry Christmas. Let me, just, let me just conclude here. I'll give you a gift. I'll end early. Write it down because I don't have an offering. When you look at this analogy that Paul uses, he says, hey, you have a sure and steadfast anchor. Remember, you're the boat. Waves come, you're all over the place. Wind comes, but it's okay. We have Jesus, an anchor. Awesome. And when the winds come, we don't move. Cool. And when the waves come, doesn't affect us. Why? Because we have Jesus, an anchor. And in the analogy, ladies and gentlemen, we have to understand who's holding on to who. 
The boat is not holding. Yes, I know they're, they're tied together and, and one needs the other. If the, if the anchor wasn't tied to the boat, then the anchor would just float down and, and, and the boat would continue. But in the analogy, the boat is not holding the anchor. The anchor is holding the boat. And if you understand that, it changes everything. It changes the way you pray. It changes the way you read. It changes the way you worship. It changes the way you share your love of Jesus with other people. Because here's the tragedy. Most of us live our Christianity and most of us live through life that we are just trying to hold on. How you doing? Oh, man, Pastor, it was a rough week. I barely, I barely made it. I was holding on by a string. And we see our salvation and we see the work that Jesus Christ does as, as just some string. Hey, hey, I got it. I got it. Woo, it was a close one. Man, I almost blew it. I almost used a bad word. I didn't. I'm here. I feel better. Oh, oh no, no, there you go. Man, I almost, man, almost had a bad thought. But, man, I, I held on super tight. It's a close one. But if we understand what the scripture is saying, you're not holding on to hope. Hope is holding on to you. You're not holding on to Jesus. Listen, understand the scripture. This is the whole point of Hebrews. You are not holding on to Jesus. Your arms aren't big enough. Jesus is holding on to you. You can do nothing. You can achieve nothing. You can save no say nothing. You can perform nothing. There's nothing you can do to get Jesus Christ to do anything for you. A matter of fact, in Timothy it says, Christ came to save Sinners, the only thing that qualifies you to be held on to is the fact that you are a sinner. Hope is holding on to you. And we need to change the way we live our life. Oh, I'm barely, whew, I made it to church. Okay. Because if that's the case, we're living in the Old Testament still. Ah, oh, the priest came out. I can make it another year. Thing accepted that one. But we, ladies and gentlemen, as the greatest gift that we could have and the greatest gift we could celebrate at this time of the year, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, the high priest, once and for all, Jesus himself, built torn in two forever. Amen. God, we thank you so much for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is, is incredible. Lord, I thank you that when we truly understand the concept of hope, everything changes. God, we truly understand that, that we're not holding on to hope, but hope, Jesus, the anchor is holding on to us. God, I thank you that today we can have hope because of what you've already done. The work is complete. It's final. Sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. God, I thank you that in the next couple of days, as we gather around a tree or whatever our tradition is, and we share gifts with one another, that we can share it with full joy and understanding that no matter what our bank account looks like, no matter what our health looks like, no matter what our marriage looks like, 
we have an anchor holding on to us. And we can make it through whatever we're walking through. Hallelujah. Just do me a favor. Just close your eyes for a minute. I want to pray for you this morning. You're here this morning and you'd say, Ben, I needed that today. I needed that. Some of you have been living your life chasing around a string, trying to grab onto it, trying to hold on. But today, the scriptures remind us, he's got you. 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 And you're here today and you say, Ben, that message was for me. I need hope this season. This message is for me that I need hope. This eyes closed, heads bowed. Can you just shoot your hand in the air? I want to pray for you right where you're at. Anybody at all? Just that's me. Pastor, thank you. Anybody else? That's me, Pastor. I needed that. Thank you. Thank you. You're here this morning and maybe you, you don't even know Jesus. Cool thing is, is all you have to do is open up your heart to him and the anchor <laughs> tied to you. And you're here today and you'd say, you know what, Ben, I, I need Jesus in my life. I've walked away. I've done some things. I've I just need to surrender again and realize that he's got me. Maybe you've never made that commitment. You're here, and that's you. I want to pray for you right where you Anybody I'll just shoot your hand in there and say, I need Jesus in my life. Hallelujah. 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 God, we love you this morning, and we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that we would take this word and we would live it out. I pray we would take this word and we would share it with others. And Lord, specifically, I pray for those this morning that raised their hands saying, man, that was for me. I needed that. I, I need to understand hope. It's not me watching out. It's not me not pouting. It's not me not crying. It's me understanding that uh, Christ has done all the work. So I pray for those individuals, and I pray that today that you would be that sure and steadfast anchor for their soul. And that, God, whatever things we face in life, not just through a holiday season, but as we go into 2015, whatever things we face in our life, we would know the anchor is holding us. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. God, you're good. God, you're good. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.